And you realise that now, even though I'm clearly sort of very, very shit, you realise how much better you are than someone who's new. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've noticed that just from uh, rolling or sparring or even drilling with some people that were on a beginner's course like the one before me. So they might be six weeks further ahead than me. And obviously it's amazing how just more dynamic or a few more little hints and tips about stuff which just improves what you're doing. I feel my biggest problem very much is having a lack of arsenal, a lack of things. And obviously when you've only got one or two kind of things in each position, kind of very limits you like what you do next when they've kind of stuffed out that position. I find my skill level, I feel like the chokes are easier to get on than arm bars and things like of that nature, I find. Mm. Yeah. If I can do S S mount into arm bar, if I drill out a few times, I can get pretty decent in it. And a reverse dealer river into a heel hook is not too bad. I'm not sure what the dealer's a heel hook in when you're white, but I don't know. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's amazing how, how much you can, I mean, I, I, I even probably think back how, oh, obviously how little I knew when I obviously first started because it was almost nothing. But I think back now to think just the, the differences in certain positions and different experience I now have in certain stuff. Like I can comfortably defend a fair amount now compared to being able to which yeah. is obviously a lot easier than attacking um, I think it's a lot easier to just basically avoid getting tapped out than to actually try and attack someone else but yeah and you find it was up the other day there was used to be it was one two two boys that would smit me quite often so we did both six rounds between us and I only got smitted once mm. I was like I'm not saying I was the one year for smitting them the one year but you know you work on defensive again. If I can survive with these guys for minutes, you know you improved, don't you? Yeah, I think I've been submitted only only, only two or three times. I think so far in the seven weeks I've been doing it, which is okay. I think. I mean, obviously, I'm being paired up with people that are either a few stripes of white or the odd blue belt and stuff. Um, and there is an element of not everyone's not going like full throttle hard at me, I guess, because obviously they're going to allow for my inability. But um, like I've certainly felt like people are trying, and and obviously I'm just trying to make it as difficult as possible, basically, to for them to actually kind of progress or do anything. So um, yeah, it's good. I mean, I've I've enjoying it. I've started recording, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, so people can fast forward this bit if they haven't already. Um, Amy Ramshed, who is the one who always jokes about, oh, he's fast forward your jujitsu talk. She didn't apparently this week. She carried on, so that's nice. Well, she listened to it. Apparently so. She said that uh, I should take up ollie lifting and she should take up jiu-jitsu. I was mm. like, absolutely no shape fucking way in hell. <laughs> no, not me. With the state of my shoulders, I couldn't ollie lift. I went, I actually, what day What day was it? Whatever day it was, I went to the gym. Right. I'm going to do barbell squat for the first time in a long time. And I couldn't get my shoulders back to all the bar. Hmm. Because it was so fucked. But I think it's not, I don't think it's direct shoulder pain. I think it's indirect from your neck, from your jiu-jitsu, obviously, because you're getting pulled around and you're getting strangled. Mm. I find that my neck's constantly hurting. Yeah. And my shoulders are fucking wrecked, absolutely wrecked. I can't really throw, but you, you throw a tennis ball. It hurts. Yeah. Either. I, 
I said the same thing and said my mobility is so poor but she then said that her other half Jack's mobility is terrible and he can apparently do clean and jerks or I can't remember what she said now but some sort of clean and whatever um, that's the mobility on it you get you get mobile when you practice certain things don't you yeah I just said I don't even want to try if I'm being totally honest as in like I've I've messed around with kind of oil lifting and self-developing a little bit on YouTube videos and stuff. Um, and I stopped last time because I ended up with elbow tendonitis after a couple of attempts. For that didn't then disappear for about nine months. So I uh, won't be doing that again anytime soon. <laughs> obviously, my own fault, managing load, managing volume. Obviously, didn't do that very well because that's generally where that sort of stuff comes from, especially tendonitis. Um, but, you know. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a video going around on Instagram at the moment from kind of most mostly around physical therapists or um, physios. Um, oh, hello! My f- it's not even on silent. How dare I? Um, if I the ding, um, call that echoed in my ears as well. Um, yeah, this video is going around a guy doing. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but basically he's on a sissy squat machine. You know, obviously where uh, obviously your legs are stabilised between some pads, um, and you you usually just kind of sit back into a squat position. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but there's an adaptation of that movement where you basically lean horizontal. So if you imagine your your knees are obviously set in a position, and instead of just squatting backwards, he actually goes at foot fully horizontal backwards like that. All right. So, so yeah. obviously you're basically just bending or um, extending the knee and bending the knee, extending the knee. And uh, as he kind of um, goes down, something in his knee just seems to like separate and you see it really visually and there's a really loud audible pop and you think like obviously something's knees ruptured or a dislocation in like the patella or um, like the kneecap or something like that. And uh, apparently it's only a partial tear, but when you watch it, it looks fucking horrendous. And how he didn't... Like, he apparently got up and just moved around after that and was, like, trying to suss out movement and stuff and realised that, actually, there isn't any pain. And I was like... Phew. Apparently, then went, like, trained through it and it got better over a number of, ta- a, a number of months. And then I think he ended up ha- eventually having surgery to fix the partial ACL tear and whatever else was done in it. But that was kind of more of a case of, well, it had to be done at some point because, obviously, it damaged it. But he was actually managed to train through a lot of the stuff afterwards, do, like, squats and, and other things. I was like, fucking hell. Um, it's what you can, what you can do if you work around it. Like my my mate who's who's now a recent blue belt, he tore MCL Me and did. another one. No, yeah. it wasn't ACL. It was the MCL and something else. But he managed because of the surgeon said, basically too fat. Yeah, weight that will help, and he did. He's five stone lighter, and he hasn't had surgery, and he's been able to continue. Don't get me wrong, he's not squatting. Mm. But he still continued to do jujitsu, and you you know how how much movement in the knees you use doing that, and in very strange positions. Yeah, so it's like it's where you can work around. I think medials probably the better of the ones to damage. Um, ACL is obviously the one that tends to go a lot with a lot of lateral movement, which obviously things like footballers tend to obviously get a lot of, um, and a lot in jujitsu to be fair, especially when you're doing a lot of heel hooks and stuff like that, because obviously the torsion or twisting movement obviously in the, in the knee joint that happens when you kind of you know got someone in a heel hook and you're basically just trying to twist their leg um fingers all night yeah yeah snapped mm-hmm. but um but obviously the point i brought up is because again it's kind of like load management stuff like that happens generally because like, everyone thinks oh it's dangerous it's dangerous so, well no it's not a dangerous exercise by any stretch it's no more dangerous than most exercises in fact m- almost Almost all, most, yeah, say almost all or most, whatever word you want to use, but 
majority of uh, and i just picked the third one majority of exercises aren't actually dangerous it's usually kind of the way you do it in terms of your form or the load management so basically like you don't you wouldn't just go and do a heavy squat straight away because obviously you haven't warmed up the joints um you obviously aren't acclimatized or got used to the movement you wouldn't obviously just go and do the heaviest thing you can ever do in, when you haven't trained for ages either so i guess again it's just all down to load management a lot of this stuff um and you know jiu-jitsu and the stuff is the same thing isn't it is you're just kind of you're starting to get used to kind of the different pressures and loads on stuff like tendons and joints and things which you wouldn't do i mean we would um drill in guillotines and dars chokes last week and i must admit i got home i was driving home thinking oh my neck does feel a bit slightly off um and then i could i could i could notice i was a bit restricted like looking right and the next day or so my my neck was like really really like tight and sore thinking oh, i hope this disappears quickly because it's lucky enough it did it kind of eased up quite quickly but it's one of those things where i thought oh could, this could be like this for ages now and it does isn't it your neck constantly hurt mm. it's right now but... do you find i find my weight training has severely suffered uh yeah we spoke about this before didn't we mine hasn't but i think i've but that, i think it's mainly because i've really tried to manage the periodization of it in terms of uh, or even the programming so I've, I've like all of my exercises have moved around different days now to accommodate the certain days that i'm now doing bjj because I, I, like i said to you i was suffering really bad from hamstring cramps at some points yeah. um because obviously constantly in like isometric contraction all the time um because you're like you you're, you're kind of sat on your knees a lot of the time or you're obviously in bridge position a lot of the time like pushing through your heels and i was just finding after like halfway through a session i had to keep like stopping or, or just suffering through cramps in hamstrings so i had to then start to think right i i now know that i can't have do too much volume or intensity on any hamstring movements either like the day of or the day before because it's just fucking me up basically so like i had to start to move stuff around i seem to be okay mostly with upper body i haven't really had much upper body issues um so i tend to do most of my upper body stuff around jiu-jitsu sessions and then save my leg stuff either after it um or make sure it's reasonably in advance so usually at least two days before um but no i think i hasn't suffered for that i've been quite particular about when i do stuff i guess with you and shifts and stuff it's a lot harder you probably can't periodize quite the way that i can or program i should say because oh, a lot of a lot of the time the trainers bulked into the four days off yeah type. that's what i so, thought like training Tuesday night, Wednesday, Tuesday, say Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, weights Wednesday afternoon, then potentially again Wednesday night, train, maybe kickboxing Thursday morning, weights Thursday, and then BGG again Thursday, for example. Just quite concentrated. That's a lot, yeah, in, in a short period of time. I know you get subsequent rest, but I don't think you can make up for it or allow it. doesn't mean you suddenly recover loads and then be good to go for that much con- uh, condensed amount of workloads in one small period. I don't think, I'm not sure if it's my, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the BG gyms are like, but a coach is very much like you drill as hard as you possibly can, not drill, you spar as hard as you can. Hmm. But uh, he's I've, uh, put some issues on fast. But don't rip them on. Don't rip. Don't try and hurt people. Get them into a position where you got them, and then put it on slow type of thing. Yeah, says, yeah, yeah. Go as hard as you can. Yeah, I think. I, I don't know. The, 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 yeah, it is. I think. Well, I think kind of. I mean, the etiquette of my gym is very much a case of, you know, you are sparring as hard as you can. But I think obviously when you're different ability levels and different kind of like belt colors, especially, um, not that it's the be all and end all in terms of like 
a better belt definitely means that you can't kind of cope type thing because obviously you can get decent white belts that can or decent you know stripes on a white belts that can compete with some blue belts and vice versa you know blue belts compete with purple belts but um yeah there's definitely an element of the person sparring and usually the better belt will accommodate the other person a bit so like they kind of know like that individual will know how hard to go in terms of like there's no point a blue belt like rolling with me and then just absolutely rinsing me because they'll probably not get too much out of it i'll get nothing out of it whatsoever probably so they you know they kind of make it more difficult enough for me to have a real challenge but not too full throttle for them probably but i mean like when i'm when i'm kind of sparring or rolling with other white belts then yeah it's probably all in really like everyone's just going as hard as they can so must do one thing on it because i got a, a blue belt i spar with now again he's he doesn't need to go hard because he's much more skilled than he He's always relaxed and where he's far, he's quite relaxed. I think, I think um, on that, I think that's, sorry, mate, I think that's where I said, I had this conversation with another white belt this week about how the, the like, when you get better and you kind of, you can control the individual a bit better, you can, you kind of have more um, ability to think through the next movements and kind of, you know, almost a bit like chess, thinking of steps ahead. You can afford to be a lot calmer and more in control. You know when, and you kind of you got a better awareness of when you're in danger, when you're not in danger. So again, you're less frantic, and you can be a lot calmer. And I find that with the better belts, they they know all that. They know when to be calmer. They're not like as frantic like me. I'm frantic the entire time because I'm just constantly worried about either how do I move this forward, or can I not get my arm broke here, or can I not, you know, like I said, to have my esophagus broken that I can't swallow now for three weeks, which has happened quite a few times. Let's be honest. I say I think I haven't had any moments where I've been like, actually, no, it's a lie. Actually, I did get I got an Ezekiel choke um, this week where I kind of missed the guy slipping a hand behind my neck, and I thought, next thing I know, he's got me, and I was like, oh, I can't get out of this. I'm fucked. So I had to tap out. But most times, it's just people framing. Obviously, obviously, for people that don't know, it's kind of framing is just basically creating a frame with your hands, and usually it's kind of like pushing against your neck. So if they're on bottom, if if they're on bottom and you're trying to like hold a, a hold a control or hold a movement, they might be like framing against your face. So you imagine they're laying underneath you, just pushing the hands or forearms up into your throat, into your face. And I must admit, it's so horrible because you can't do much about it other than just suffer through it. And um, yeah, you end up having like three days of not being able to swallow properly, like you've got razor blades or a really bad sore throat. That's what it feels like. It's like, Ugh. that's <laughs> rough. It's about, it's about, I think that's why people who, I think you said it for the higher belts, say that it, BJJ teaches you that life isn't that hard in terms of that, because they go, right, you get choked out and get smashed up six o'clock in the morning. The rest of the day is probably not going to be very hard. Yeah, I said that to Amy last week when we met up for Dan and Dan's uh, coaching clinic. I said the same thing. Said so she said, "How are you getting on at jujitsu?" And I said, uh, "It's funny actually how it does kind of stop you re- or, or kind of makes you realise that nothing else is that hard." It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. It's like it makes you feel like, like you say, really. I guess you know, with the hard, the hardest thing you're probably going to have that day is being choked out by another dude. Like you're probably not going to get that much more difficult. So it actually just puts everything into a bit of perspective. I know you can think, well, it's just like, it's just a hobby you're doing. So like what you're really worried about, but it's just, that it does just, you're, you're so in the moment of how difficult it is and just thinking through stuff. It kind of makes you, it's almost like a weird violent meditation. And it, okay, you kind of realize that it's, yeah, oh, there's not much else that's going to be much harder on this today. Yeah, but you, aren't, you aren't going to worry. I don't know, because, but it's not, if you're injured, when? And that's just inspiring. People are not, People are there to beat you, but they're not there to. Obviously, nobody's intentionally going to break someone's leg or arm, but the the danger is very real. Mm. Yeah, it's even it's even stuff like 
I had to go to a funeral on Wednesday um, and I turned up with, I don't know how happy is that, three inches of like a burn mark down the side of my face. One of my eyes was like half black. That's like, I look ridiculous and no one said anything, but I, all the time I was so conscious that people think, what the fuck has he been up to? Like, look at the state of him. It's really like, obviously it's quite really noticeable. It's not a small thing. So I was thinking, oh, brilliant. I've got to turn up at a funeral and look like I've been in a scrap when I want to tell everyone, no, no, it's not. It's just, it's just, it's just jujitsu. It's just a sport or hobby I've been doing. But um, anyway, we've, we've spoken a lot about jujitsu. Um, and obviously we are a little short on time today. So I thought we'd go through a Q&A. It's like, so uh, a while ago, well, I've saved some questions basically from a while ago where I asked some of our Facebook group for some questions to do a bit of a listener Q&A episode. So I thought maybe we'll go for that today. All right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Um, let's not go too much detail, although we'll let the questions dictate, I guess, how much detail you want to go in. But um, let's say conscious of time. So, and I've got, I don't know how many I've got here, quite a few. Not that we'll get through them all, we won't. But um, Right, I'll ask, you the, I'll ask you first and then give me your answer. I'll chip in. So... Uh, the question number one is best tips for not putting the weight back on and not letting it be a constant worry after a diet period so i guess that's quite common for a lot of people isn't it that you know you go for a diet period and one of the first thing you do is worry about like undoing all your progress stop thinking it's over stop going giving yourself uh whatever goal it is or whatever and then think i was done now i can go back to what i normally do Mm. if you do that you will gain it all back and and i mean if how many people do you think will go on a diet of a thousand people? I reckon 950 will go, I'm done now. That's it. And they'll put all back on. Hmm. Almost. Great. That's, that's the tip. Keep, don't stop. That's a, that's a cracking tip. I mean, obviously, I guess you can't continue to diet, but that's not what you're saying, is it? Um, hmm. cause obviously, if you continue to diet, you'll either end up dying or you know, you'll burn out or whatever. Um, but no, absolutely. We spoke about this, didn't we, the last few weeks you know, on the odd occasion around saying like one of the worst things people do is they kind of just go back to normal, thinking that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? People like that, they don't realise that the habits and behaviours that you're doing and building during a dieting phase don't actually change that much when you then stop that diet. Those habits, routine, structure, that framework still applies. You just change a couple of variables, aka how much you're eating perhaps maybe you know you might be a bit more flexible on occasion because you've got more calories to play with as such um but yeah i don't think i think that's a cracking tip actually mate very cracking like like it yeah Yeah, i do like it yeah i think because i think it's just that it's just nail on the head i think that i was gonna say not letting it be a constant worry um I guess that's, that's best that also ties in, I guess, as in like, if you, if you know, if you kind of keep that routine and framework and you don't actually change that stuff, you shouldn't really be worried that you're going to put the weight back on either. But no, you shouldn't be. No, because you're still doing the same thing. That, that's the thing, you shouldn't be, because <sighs> when you do do that, you're not going to, yeah, because you're not going to worry because you've got things in place where you're actually, I'm not going to not, if I track, I'm not going to not track, I'm not going to not weigh myself, I'm not going to not measure, I'm going to not take photos. When you do that, you can you can look and think, ooh, I, I, I'm a bit too heavy bit before it gets to the point where, oh my God, I've, I've gained it all back. Good. Enjoyed. Nice. Good answer, mate. Uh, question number two. Can you initially gain weight from the increase in water intake? I've been hitting my macros this week, but I'm up two pounds. And I started drinking a, well, obviously American uh, personal group, 120 ounce uh, 100, sorry, 128 ounce water bottle a day. Don't know what that is in. Don't know what that is in gallons. Um, I can tell you that a 12 ounce 
Starbucks is a small one. It's just like 10 small Starbucks. So I imagine it's quite a big bottle. Um, Thank you. 128 oh. ounce. You're it, are you, to convert? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where's that one? I did have it up, but then it decided to close it off. Uh, anyway, I'm going to guess. I don't, I don't know what a tall latte is, but I'm going to say 300 mils. So it could be maybe like a four litre bottle, like a big bottle, like a, I guess like a big gallon thing. Yeah, 3.75 litres. You know, I did that on my head. I'm pretty impressed with myself. Um, so anyway, I'll repeat the question. Can you initially gain weight from an increase in water intake? I've been hitting my macros this week, but I'm up two pounds. I started drinking a 128-ounce water bottle a day. Could that be a contributing factor? I'm kind of at a loss on my plateau right now. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's physically more volume of liquid inside you. And, you. and you've got the factor of, are you having the exact same amount of carbs salt things the exact same food mm. every day because unless you can control to the well as exactly as possible all the variables and then change one you can never really say it's that one thing that is the factor that's causing that weekend probably would contribute 100 percent because you are especially if you've gone from drinking one liter to two liter to three liters that's a lot of you know it's two kilos in it mm. literally two kilos that, that's what that's that's what I was gonna I was gonna say like definitely it can um, and I was certainly gonna start asking some of the other questions that you have um, I suppose our bodies are quite good at regulating water as in yeah. you know if you drink loads you will end up pissing more out so it will start to regulate it but definitely I think in the short term you need to drink more water you probably will increase I think the key thing is probably things like um, has carbi- carbohydrate intake changed because obviously if you drink loads of water eat loads of carbs you're gonna weigh more because of stored glycogen and the water alongside of it that type of stuff um the salt, obviously, again, key factor. And I'll be honest, like, it's two pounds is the other thing I was going to say. Like, it could just be an arbitrary random change, which has nothing to do with actual water you're drinking or anything else you're doing. As in, like, you could just be have a bit more digestive stuff in the tra- in the tract, which you haven't done previously. Could have eaten a bit more fibre. Um, you know, who knows? Like, it's a bit like, unless you're up two pounds and you've, say, like, if you had a very consistent weight and then you start drinking it, you're then up two pounds, and you had a consistently up two pounds, then you could start to think, okay, well, what might else be be doing it? But I think looking at the water is probably something that I wouldn't say is going to be the first thing that springs to mind. But yeah, it could do. As in, like, it, obviously you are drinking more water, so for certainly for at least for an acute period of time, you're going to have more water in your body than, than not. Um, if it's a special occasion and you know you will go over your carbs and calories one day, do you still strive to hit your protein? I had this yeah. conversation with a client this week, actually. Do you want me to try answer it? Because yeah. I did. Um, I basically said, uh, if it's a special occasion, I guess, why are you worrying so much around your carbs and calories? As in, like most of my clients, I would say, look, it's a special occasion. I'm not actually concerned you tracking. Now, they might want to track anyway, which is fine. You can do. Um, but actually, I usually on special occasions, I would try and impl- implement some form of more mindful eating type of process. So where people are actually kind of more um, aware of the moment, I guess, more conscious, more thinking about things like how hungry they are, regularly dipping into like the appetite and hunger scale. So what I mean by that is kind of I get people to rate kind of where they are on a hunger scale of one to ten and um, base kind of their food choices really are around like, how hungry they are. Um just be be aware and conscious in the moment around things like should, do I want dessert? You know how much dessert I should be eating? Do I want to finish it all? Those types of things. I think on a special occasion, 
that's a lot better way of approaching things. And to be honest, arguably, probably a better way of approaching just general eating habits over longer term anyway. Um, but certainly for special occasions, I think it's better than saying, oh, well, I must worry about whether this has got a thousand calories or whatever in. Um, and I know that doesn't really answer the question, but that's how I would usually kind of change the question to suit a better answer, if that makes sense. But if you did want to ask the question, then um, I certainly would say that on a basic macro level, depends what your goal is. So if your goal is weight loss, I would say don't you don't want to overeat calories just to hit your protein. If your goal is obviously not weight loss, then perhaps going over your calories to hit protein is okay. Good answer, Brad. Thank you, Johnny. You got anything to, nothing to add? I was gonna say, especially it's not it's not what you eat, it's how you frame it. It's like it's not the it's not the point you you're on a diet and you've eaten loads of shit. You're on a wedding. It's one of those things like, well, what was I hungry? Yes. So it's mindful eating. I've gone over the top. No. Is it one day? Yes. Does it matter in the grand scheme of things? Probably not. As long as you understand that eating healthy and is a long term endeavour and not just a block of time where you go from X weight to this weight, then. It doesn't matter. People go, right, oh, I had chocolate. Oh, my God, I feel so bad. People go, right, a special occasion. doesn't happen often. Someone's getting married. Um, I mindfully, I, I, ate, I, was, I was in tune with my hunger. I wanted the chocolate or whatever, the cake. I ate till I was full. I was satisfied. Who cares? Who cares? Unless you're, unless you're an Olympic athlete or a Mr. Olympia, or a, which then it matters to anyone else doesn't matter mm. i agree i think uh savoring the moment and being aware or uh present in the moment is way more important especially on an occasion but as i say i also think it's something that more people should do uh in the longer term in terms of their kind of longer term eating behaviors and habits rather than even just specifically for special occasions because it's mindful eating and that doesn't even necessarily mean that you can't also count calories or macros there is a big void or gap between kind of like diet and anti-diet you know and i guess like the mindful eating falls on the anti-diet side because mindful eating itself very much like intuitive eating is not meant to be um i guess it's not a specific weight loss intervention as such albeit mindful eating um is still associated with weight loss in terms of that when people do team to mindfully and use the principles of mindful eating and the principle of intuitive eating quite often people will still experience weight loss which is no shit really because if you're paying a bit more attention to the moment savoring the experience paying more attention to hunger you probably will eat less and you probably will make better food choices than if you're just a mindless motherfucker like basically going to the fridge and tipping everything into your mouth so it isn't a surprise really that people lose weight even without intentionally trying to when they kind of implement some form of mindful eating um i think there was a i was reading it quite recently there was a review done by oh what was his name Basically, there's a meta-analysis done that pulled 19 studies, and I can't remember what, what the meta-analysis was. Maybe I'll try and find it. I'll stick it in the show notes. But 12 out of 19 studies they included all had an association with weight loss on those studies for people that included mindful eating. So and as I say, none of them had intentional weight loss in their directives, but it does show you that it's quite a powerful thing, mindful eating, and that more of us should be using it. And the thing is, like people, I think people think of mindfulness or mindful eating as like Zen Buddha fucking weird hippie shit, but... It's actually not it's literally no more difficult than just being conscious and being present in the moment which we just don't do do we we all sit in front of our laptops or in front of the tv or 
you know, or like where your phone in your hand and you don't actually be present in the moment. And that does make a big difference. And that's something that I use with all of my clients. I think that's human nature. I mean, it's, you're either thinking about what's happened, which you can't affect. And you think about the future, which you haven't got there yet. Hmm. Uh, people don't live in the moment type of things. It's just like they don't eat. Just like you say, there's laptops, phones, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They worry about other rather than things that they do with. Hmm. If anyone's interested in that, though, I would definitely recommend the book uh, The Joy of Half a Cookie. I can't remember the author, but um, which is a bit rude of me. Um, looking behind me on my bookshelf, I cannot see it. So, uh, yeah, can't say that. But obviously, Google Joy of Half a Cookie, buy the book. Incredible book on, on mindful eating. So um helps a lot, even with, for, as a practitioner, or if you just want to improve your relationship with foods. So, Question number four. Does an increase in carbs or calories... Uh, 200 300 result in any immediate effect like an initial weight loss while on a break i've been playing with a diet break into maintenance and i had four days where i ate 200 to 350 calories more than my normal deficit which averaged about a half a pound to a pound per week eventually i then did two days at a normal deficit today the scale dropped three pounds is this some real or some is, is this real or some side effect or is it not related to the calorie bump at all very long question. I'll have to fucking read it to make sure I get what the he or she's saying. Yes, I think it's going to be an immediate effect, like an initial weight loss. I, th- on a break. I think basically they bumped their calories up um, on a break after dieting, and they've lost extra weight. And are trying to work out is it magic? No, it's, it's not magic because the body's not magical, is it? But what's to say that that increase hasn't increased in eat a little bit? It hasn't increased training intensity a little bit. It's given you a psychological break, which may take a little bit of stress off of you worrying about, oh, I haven't got many calories to eat. Mm-hmm. Stress. Give a bit of a raw detention, yeah, stress. Because, like you say, stress is accumulative, not just you get stress on dieting, and then separately it's stress from work and stress is all together, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> it's not magical, no, but... Uh, Partly those factors, really, isn't it? And was he, was he, was he or she with the normal diet? Were they actually losing weight at the time? I assume they were. Yeah, it doesn't say. Um... Say that three hundred, what they thought was maintenance. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was still a deficit. I don't know. I, 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 I certainly went down immediate routes of you saying like, you know, has the extra, has the break and the extra calories basically, like you say, upregulated things like knee, upregulated, um, some of the training intensity, quality, uh, perhaps even pushed, you know, extra food, might have pushed a bit of digestive waste through that type of stuff, you know, more fiber. Um, but I think the biggest thing that's been in mind is probably like perhaps something like, and I, I can't, you can't always explain this. And I, obviously sometimes you do see random drops in scales, but I would have said as a bit of an arbitrary hat tip to, yeah, is it things like just the extra food, the extra carbohydrates, just dropped a bit of cortisol, cortisol dropped a bit of water retention, which still, to be honest, I'm still not sure if that's a thing, but everyone still seems to keep saying it. So I remember James Krieger talking about the Minnesota um, starvation study uh, by Antle Keys, where... I can't remember the exact premise of it, but basically he said that not debunked the the idea that water related, no cortisol related water retention is a thing, but they were saying obviously these guys had loads of water water 
retention, but didn't have rise or raised cortisol levels. I think I might have got that wrong, but I remember he was talking at a conference I went to. Where he was talking about something like that, where it kind of deep, but slightly contradicted rather than debunked, contradicted the idea of that cortisol. You know, increased stress, increased cortisol can uh, increase water retention. But then everyone's still saying it. Everyone still seems to think it's a thing. So I'm just going to go with it. So, but you do see this kind of like phenomena uh, anecdotally with clients sometimes. Like you know, you bump up the calories, and then sometimes they do see a bit of a whoosh, and suddenly a lot of weight drops. So that's kind of where my mind immediately went. Same thing. Instead of straight to the gutter like it normally does. Okay. I'm almost at my desired weight and I want to tone up. Should I do a maintenance? Oh, sorry. Should I do maintenance and do my weightlifting training or do a slight slurpus to gain muscle but no fat? Hmm. It's one of the things that you do weight training now. You should be. Because effectively, if you're either not training at all and you're deciding well, to start weight training. I think, no, I think the question does say, I th- the question's probably misleading slightly, but I think she's, I think it was a she from memory. Um, I think she is doing a weight job. I think she's basically saying, should I, so I've, I'm at my side weight. Basically, I want to tone up now. So basically, I want to build some muscle. So do I go to maintenance and do my weightlifting or do I go to surplus and do my weightlifting? If that makes sense. But obviously, she has kind of left it, do a surplus, a slight surplus to gain muscle, but no fat, which I guess there's probably something I would pick out there. Yeah, but you're talking about this tone. But it's like, well, you might be able to desire weight on a scale, but are you at your desired body fat level? Oh no, because I think that's the whole point. She obviously now wants to tone up. Yeah. So you've either got that option of obviously because he's getting muscle is substantially harder than losing a bit more fat. So if I just go specifically for for weight gain then, and it's ignore that you could diet longer, lose more body fat, and look toned that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would not. I would, for me personally, I probably wouldn't go off into from a deficit which may be very deep when you're at your side weight straight to a surplus I would go to your new maintenance first because obviously you're smaller like than you were stay there for a few weeks let weight stabilize a bit because you will get some weight gain some water tension extra food extra carbs so and after a few weeks then go in a marginal surplus like for it's the surplus of getting muscle is not that large it's not large at all so you're probably better off going to maintenance and then maybe add in probably under cal- and probably even under calories a day is probably a lot a lot depends on where you are really as well but then just slowly increase because you are going to get that you don't want to go from a deficit Delusion, whatever, pound a week, to going into a surplus. And those initial couple of weeks gaining like eight, nine pounds in terms of more food volume, more liquid volume, salt, water, carbs, and freaking out and going back to diet again. So you probably well to go to maintenance first for a few weeks and then go into a small surplus in there and make sure you monitor your weight, pictures, measurements, clothes sizes, potential diet, uh, diet, not diet breaks. Uh, kind of the name of Mini cuts hmm. along the way, so you achieve decent body fat levels. Because there's no way you're going to gain muscle and not gain some fat. It's not going to happen. Yeah, and you jam yourself for for gear. I mean, then 
you're going to gain some fucking water. Yeah, I think I, I'd I would definitely align in in all of that. I almost said almost all of that, but no, all of that. In that, I would recommend moving to a maintenance phase and letting things settle because obviously, like the body does do funky stuff as well after like a long period of, or even a period of something, and then trying to switch into a different flux, as in going like straight from deficit to a gain. Um, I think it's a lot better to just go to kind of like you say your new predicted maintenance and then just let things settle over time and to be honest i would say you could probably ride that out for i think longer probably than what you said you know even more than a few weeks perhaps even a few months because i think one of the biggest things in terms of like gaining muscle and not body recomping is not recomping but obviously making your body look better in terms of like get started to gain some muscle without overshooting too much or gaining some fat um i think you can basically try and help um, potentiate that as in not overshooting too much fat by um, being in a, in a maintenance phase which just by definition is then not in a deficit and I think that's the biggest bit and I've said this before in the podcast I said one of the, I think the biggest things and one of the, the kind of the most helpful drivers for looking on, on, on mass yes okay surplus is that but I actually think just being out of a deficit is probably the key part the biggest part yes being a surplus helps but I actually think not being in a deficit is far better or easier so um or for, or for more effective i should say rather than better or easier it's more effective um so yeah oh, oh yeah i'm not explaining myself very well i think that's the biggest part of it just not being a deficit that has kind of that gets you more the way there in terms of building muscle than being in a surplus yes okay that being a surplus it might be better but i guess on is it does is it like twice as good or is it just a little bit better and i think it's probably just a little bit better if that makes sense so being a maintenance is probably the safer option out of the two because i think you get all the benefits of not being a deficit but obviously, by definition, maintenance you shouldn't really be putting on any fat. So and I think you probably still can can then afford because obviously what you said around building muscle before it is not an energy dependent process as such. Like it's a protein dependent process. So again, by definition, you could actually build muscle on deficit. What we do know though is that that protein dependent process is really fucking difficult to achieve when you're in a deficit because you've got all things like down regulation of all the anabolic signaling. So basically just make it really hard to kind of build muscle when you're in deficit because you're training shit you the stimulus is shit um obviously the kind of the recovery and building is all shit so it's all that it's a protein dependent process and it can be done it's just a lot fucking harder when you're deficit and i think just not being in a deficit and therefore going to maintenance solves that problem you just don't quite get the, the little tiny extra benefits of being a surplus but you do get all the benefit of then not gaining loads of body fat jump to diet really quickly which seems like this question is kind of angling or inferring that they've got a problem with hence the do i stay at maintenance do my weightlifting or do i go to a slight surplus you know i highlight the slight surplus to gain muscle but no fat well if you're in a surplus you're not going to gain muscle but no fat unless you're in such a small surplus that you're just making it again nine impossible and you might as well just be at maintenance because it's probably exactly the same thing so yeah. that's the only thing i'd add and i waffled a lot about that but still are there any days where or sorry if there are days where i don't hit my macros i.e go over the in carbs but under in fats over in protein but or, or even under in protein but i stay within or below my calories is this okay and i'm assuming because ending with below my calories the goal is weight loss it doesn't happen often but some days i'm out and i can't eat my ideal foods so basically saying do I need to hit my macros or can they kind of fluctuate or flex as long as I'm under my calories? Is that okay? Yeah, fine. As long as, long as, as, long as you're the calories, all right, don't worry about it. Don't matter at all. Even under protein? Well, on, a, on an odd day, no, it doesn't matter. Because let's be fair, the stimulus of you getting muscle is in the gym. 
oh, if you read zero protein, right, you're not in recovery. But the the, the, the majority, of, if you if you just read protein, you're not gaining loads of muscle. Here. You've got well, to train. That's I, stimulus. I think um, actually, actually, sorry, just to interrupt because the shout out to our friend Richie Cohen, who I think has just released a paper on this exact topic where people an intervention of protein alone didn't increase muscle mass. I haven't read the study yet because he sent me a link to it because um, it's not an open access study. And he sent me a link, bless him, to, uh, to obviously read it because obviously he can just share it himself because it's his study. Um, but yeah, I think that's exactly the outcome was obviously you need resistance training to build muscle, you know, unless you take steroids, obviously. But because um, obviously you will build muscle without doing anything if you just take steroids. Uh, well, you likelihood you, as you will anyway. Um, but protein alone won't just increase muscle. So it's not, it's clearly not all about the protein in terms of the muscle building process. So let's be fair, if your goal is fat loss and you're below calories or you've had more carbs and less fat or less protein, more fat, whatever, don't matter. It doesn't matter, not even a little bit. I mean, you could talk pedantics and talk about, you know, if if you want to maintain as much muscle as you can, you want to compete at bodybuilding, blah, 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 then yeah, maybe you could, you know, you should be eating every three hours, blah, 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 for that muscle protein synthesis. Like, is it really going to matter across six months of dieting? Nah. No. I, I, I want to give Richie another shout in case people want to go find it. But the uh, study title is Protein Interventions Augment the Effect of Resistance Exercise on Appendicular Lean Mass and Hand Grip Strength in Older Adults. A systematic review and meta-analysis of randomized control trials. Lead author, Richard P. Cohen. What an amazing fucking legend. True researcher. Brilliant. Um, anyway, the uh, conclusion was in older adults performing resistance exercise, increased protein intake led to greater um, ALM and HG compared with lower protein controls. Without resistance exercise, protein has no additional benefit on changes in total LBM, ALM, or HG. So, and as I said at the start, um, ALM is appendicular lean mass and HG is hand grip strength. And lean body mass, LBM. In case people are interested, but yeah, so it kind of shows you that protein alone doesn't do it. You need the resistance training as well. Mm. Hence, like Johnny's saying, I wouldn't worry too much on the odd day of going. Now, obviously, I guess there's a number of retention in a deficit where protein's obviously pretty important. But like anything, the long period in terms of the the average of what you do over time is going to have far bigger impact on than any given day. Whether you happen to just be under because you went out for, to food for food, controlled your calories, but didn't hit protein. Mm. Just don't do it all the time. Where did I get up to? Can I bulk if I still have 26% body fat, but I only weigh 110 pounds? I want muscles, but this body fat percentage may be too high for a bulk? Question mark. I assume again female. I assume female as well. So we can say that 26% body fat is all right. It is still top teens, isn't it? Mm. I would probably say you're probably, I wouldn't bulk at that body fat level. For a man or a woman, for a man. Mm-hmm. But he, even a woman, you talk twenty six is still. I'm not saying it's high. It's not. I wouldn't say it's high at all. I would say it's probably pretty average. Because what you're looking at for a very lean woman, 10, 12, 14. Mm, yeah, yeah. I would probably say twelve, fourteen. Very lean woman, I guess. I think it's one of those things where you need to get out of the habit of cutting and bulking. Like you'd have to know more about the person, but eating up maintenance, starting weight training, and then going from there. 
because obviously if you don't if she if she doesn't come into weight training she, she she then she starts weight training she will inevitably gain the muscle because it's a new stimulus unless of course she's super outlier games early anything. I think definitely we don't know enough context, perhaps, but I'm just going to assume that they're already resistant training stuff. I, I I don't think it's too hot. I think it's like it's probably one of those body fats. I'm going to guess like 26 percent on a female, and the way the question's posed, I'm going to guess the situation is very much like a lot of people where they're not overweight, they're not they're not very lean, so they kind of st- but they want to bulk, but they feel that like they you know they're not very lean, so can't, so they're stuck in this limbo land of not knowing what to do, which a lot of people get to. Certainly a lot of blokes do, don't they? They kind of be like, I don't feel like lean, I'm lean enough to bulk, but um, I want to continue dieting, but I don't. I'm fed up with dieting and want to, want, want to bulk really. So they're kind of stuck in between these two, two uh, or this crossroads. Um, I think then in that situation, quite often, like I wouldn't say they're 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 too you know it's too high body fat to bulk. So therefore, like you just have to let almost the psychology of it dictate. As in, like, are you comfortable where you are? Are you uncomfortable where you are? Or are you really fed up with dieting and you just don't want to diet anymore? A lot of those answers, those questions will probably tell you what to do next. Or like you said, just, you know, why not hit maintenance for a little while? See how you get on. Try and let, the, if you have been dieting for a while, hit maintenance, let things recover. Um, in terms of diet fatigue and kind of, you know, allowing a bit of a break from dieting, then decide what you're going to do afterwards. I just wonder, as, and it's where has she got that body fat percent from? Mm. I, don't, I don't think it's physi- physiologically a bad place to, to bulk from, other than obviously the heavier you are to start with, the less you know room you have before you to hit a top end of what is probably physiological optimal or physiologically optimal um but that isn't necessarily a problem either in it's in its own right either just certainly i'll dispel the myth that um which a lot of people used to think like you're pro you're primed for bulking if you are very lean in terms of you get some form of like instant sensitivity or kind of like the p ratio partitioning ratio hypothesis that a lot of people or i don't know whether it's lyle came up with it or who did but um this idea that you're a lot leaner, the, the likes of uh, what's his face, Nick Mitchell, he always used to go on about this. Obviously, which is obviously like, I I, I think most people, evidence people, evidence based people, will say this is horseshit. But you know, if, if someone wants to bulk, get them super lean first, so that they're really sensitive to anabolic stimulus, really sensitive to insulin, get far better partitioning ratios where that all the excess calories go way more to muscle than they do fat, as opposed to when you're a bit heavier, that the um, when you're heavier, that more goes to fat than muscle. So it's not as optimal for bulking. Whereas if you look at a recent analysis that Greg Knuckles and Eric Trexler, I can't remember which one led it, but one of them, I think probably Eric actually, went through all the research available in this type of area and kind of debunked that th- as a thing. Um, there's loads of research in kind of anorexics, loads of research. I think it was some research in sumo wrestlers, like basically this idea of uh, what can we take in terms of the, the, the science that's out there, which shows us whether it is basically easier to gain muscle at a certain body fat percentage. And basically they come up with that is pretty much all the same. So as I said, I don't think 26% as a female is too much to bulk physiologically other than just perhaps having less time to bulk because you're going to get top end of heavy sooner than if you were leaner because you obviously got more space to bulk into. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, how long should someone stay in a bulk phase? I read at least five months or if you reach 20% body fat. I'm currently at four months and 16.5% body fat, but finding this a bit fluffy for my liking. First off, I just you can answer the question, but I do want to comment. I really dislike that word "fucking fluffy" because when I hear the word "fluffy," it's usually by really lean people saying, "Oh, I feel a bit fluffy," trying to get some form of affirmation or reassurance from their followers. Whereas, like, 
you don't even know what fluffy is. Like, if that's your idea of fluffy, then you're like you're leaner than most people I know. And I think that's fucking ridiculous that you're out there putting out there trying to get sympathy from other people. Like, oh, I'm fluffy. I feel a bit fluffy. It does wind me up. I'm not gonna lie. Fair enough. <laughs> Obviously not you. No, there's no set time you it, but again, it goes back to if you're in hands, you can do it. You can do it for a shorter period of time because you can gain muscle substantially faster. If you're um, natural, then you are, I would imagine, severely overestimated how much muscle you can gain in five months. Not a lot, by the way. Unless, of course, you're new to training. If, you're, if you've been training a few years, then if you're, if you're lean now, then, how lean is it? 20%. We're 16.5% body fat. So that's okay, and it really, I mean, I would say... If you reach twenty percent body fat, I suppose it depends what your what your goals are. I mean, the the, the further you leave body fat, go on, go on, go on, go, the longer you're gonna have to for. So it's one of those things where you have to work out right. Why am I happy? Because it's about how you feel as well, this. Because you know, people, everyone's like, oh, t-shirts get tight on your hips and your stomach. People feel uncomfortable. If you get there, it's probably too much in it. Whether that's sixteen percent, eighteen percent, twenty percent, twenty-four percent for you. Again, it depends on how much muscle you've got as well. Because the bigger you are, you can be 20, 20% body fat and still look awesome. There's just so much muscle, but obviously they're very, very big. So I wouldn't put any, any, any time stamp on it, really, or body fat percentage. Purely, I would say, individual and how far you're willing to go, mm. what goals are. I mean, it's bulking bulk, or adding muscle takes longer than you think so five months i would say for natural is not enough so you need to be looking at probably a year or so depending on what what your goals mm. are i see any you know, that's and that's only a couple of pounds of muscle mm. i was going to say i think um it's probably more helpful for people to think about rather than how long do i bulk for kind of if they're thinking of that they want to go through cycles of bulking and cutting to think about the ratio of bulking to cutting because obviously it kind of makes things a bit easier in terms of just thinking like okay and this is kind of the 3dmj method that i that i kind of take inspiration from here in that bulking four times to one time dieting so four weeks bulking one time dieting that doesn't mean bulk for four weeks diet for a week that means like if you're bulking for four months then have a month dieting four months month dieting obviously i think the longer you can put out for like even to a point where if you can do a year of bulking and then you know whatever that works out as three months dieting that is some good ratios and i think you'll probably see some good results hopefully from that all thing else being well and equal in terms of training quality and kind of looking after nutrition and stuff and you don't overshoot eat you know and gain too fast that type of stuff um but i think that's probably a bit more helpful than saying how long do i bulk for because like you said all the factors you've just said come into play and then it just makes it a difficult thing to actually answer so you, you see you see a lot of these questions and what people are doing very much come from the bodybuilding world the cutting, the bulking, eating exact macros. That's all mm. from what? which is not probably it's probably not the greatest of areas to look at for your long term. Mm. I was gonna say I think I think uh, it depends on because I, I agree I think for long term behaviours, habits, and for general population, like do people need to do that? Probably not. Would there be other ways that might be better? Certainly, it's like uh, psychologically, maybe, yeah. Um, however, 
bodybuilders are the best at changing their body composition and there's a reason they do that yeah. because they're really fucking good at changing their body composition so i guess like the people that do really have a real physical goal in terms of body composition goals and i guess kind of that's why they do don't they but yeah but the, look the, look at the question the 100 the 110 pound female what's this you mentioned bulk am i just was i talking bollocks no she's yeah just said about do i go to maintenance or a small surplus because i want to gain muscle so it's kind of a bulk. Yeah. yeah. Can I bulk? Is that trying, is, see, again, you're, this is a, a small female. I'm talking about bulking and cutting, which is not really the greatest thing to, to, how to think about changing body composition. Yeah. Really. yeah. I think it depends on, again, how they think about food, how they think about the body. Like, what is really the problem here? Is it the, is it their, their body or is it actually the psychology or the mindset of stuff and their relationships with their food and their body is that really the problem which we're reading into some about knowing who they are clearly but that obviously yeah. is usually the bigger problem in people rather than physically you know like oh you know i want to get you know for a bodybuilding sport say or whatever but um i might have to cut short on time mate because we're running out of time so uh they were some quick fire q a's enjoyed them very good answers thank you johnny um anything else you want to add or emotional it's been emotional yeah they always are um we've probably got some interesting developments or news coming up soon but we'll save that for another podcast um so yeah so i won't i won't put a spoiler out now so but you'll soon find out um please rate review subscribe share with your network as usual please 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 help us don't just listen and then not do it like if you could really do us the honor we would really really appreciate it um in fact don't send me a christmas present if you do that that will be my christmas present so um yeah, on that note, I'm going to go and have uh, an Indian takeaway with some friends. Good option for takeaway. Chaslik, rice, Peshwari naan. Peshwari naan's the best, today. It? it is. It's got Do all you want the favourite curries? Chicken marango. Chicken marango, don't know what that is. It's got marangos in it. Sounds alright, might try it. It does, it's very nice. Right, bonjour. Good luck. Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week.